disintegrate you! Claim disintegration by the cure. Welcome to the MCU Gauntlet, a podcast unlike any other MCU podcast. Our gauntlet takes us on a journey from Captain America all the way to Spider-Man Far From Home. Along the way, we break down each film and ultimately rank the film within the 23 MCU films we have to date. I'm your host, Luke Shoemaker, and with me, as always, is Graham Hank Pym Thomas. Graham, in terms of comedy, where does Ant-Man rank for you? I mean, you know, it's got some really funny moments, no doubt. And maybe sometimes this film and its sequel, I think they tried too hard with the comedy bits instead of letting things come naturally. Um, but it's got to be in the top, top of the, you know, the list as far as laughs go. There's a lot of laughs, a lot of genuine laughs. Um, but, and you know, it keeps things lighthearted, but I think, you know, it's important to keep in mind that we're still talking about a, a superhero action movie here too. So um, yeah, funny movie, funny movie. Lots of, lots of good, good things to laugh about. For sure. Um, I, you know, for opening thoughts information here. So July of 2015, I didn't go watch this in theater. I waited. I'm just to, astounded by this fact. I just, you know, <laughs> I waited for it to come out and read. Listen, I had, I had just gotten married that summer and it, you know, and Ant-Man wasn't one that I was, I had no background information. And I thought, well, that's a silly name. What's this character going to add? All those little ends. I love Paul Rudd, but I, I just, I didn't go watch it. So I waited till Redbox and it came out on that and I watched it. And uh, I laughed my butt off in my old apartment in Psalm Springs. It was very different than any other MCU film. I mean, <laughs> Ant-Man, let's be honest. It's not the most exciting comic book character people think of. It's not the one where you're like, oh, yeah, sweet Ant-Man. We get into thoughts from our wives. I'll have a quote from Chelsea. But, you know, I love Paul Rudd, and I wanted to see what it was all about. And, I, I, and you know, Michael Pena is an extremely underrated actor. So on this first on the first watch, I enjoyed all of his humor. And then on rewatch, it was the same. It's, it's so funny. I, I enjoy all the humor. And... Beyond that, though, some of the concept of this whole, and I'll get into the comic stuff later, it's kind of rough. And I, I think I think they undersell one of his greatest strengths for me. I understand the shrinking down, all the atom splitting. But, like, come on, the ants. He has control of the ants. Oh, how'd that never come back? In, I mean, can you imagine just if you had 500,000 ants, you could send it to someone, they all start buying it. You have no, no way to stop it. Yeah. Let me ask you something is, you know, as a, a proud homeowner um you ever had an ant problem <laughs> so every once in a while we'll have an issue but chelsea has this thing the secret little recipe with borax and sugar and water and she puts these little pads out and those suckers take it all the way back to the queen and then they never come back because the whole hive's dead but yeah. without that, yes, they are everywhere i mean we we've had some ant problems here well, not really anything major in recent years um but they're 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 just tough to to get rid of um amazingly enough we have one in our van and (laughs) we think they built a colony in there and we've you know we've had it washed and we've bombed it and and they just don't go away 
and you know, and I'm beginning, you know, the Ant-Man movie has all those different size ants, right? I'm beginning yeah. to think we have like multiple sizes in there because we get some tiny ones and big ones. And luckily we haven't seen any red ones. So, yeah. um, no, but ants are very unique and, and, you know, um, very hardworking. And, um, I just kept thinking during this whole thing, like ant boot, you know, that, that phrase has a new meaning in the Marvel universe because of the way Nick Fury phrased it. And I've always wondered if they might bring that back somehow. I don't know how they would, but, um, gonna make a third ant man. So maybe. And, you know, they, they work as a team and there's a lot of, uh, great lessons I think to learn from the ants. So, um, no, uh, 2015. So here I go again on my, on my, uh, when your parents kick, but, um, when you were parents, especially with young kids, and so in the summer of 2015, my kids would have been nine and six, respectively. Um, you just don't, as I've said before, you just don't get to go to the movies much. And if you do, you know, often you're with them and you're not going to go see a movie like Ant-Man because they don't care. And that's just the fact of life. But I remember a warm July Saturday morning in 2015 when my kids got invited to go to a one-day vacation Bible school at a church in Decatur. Um, and so Amy and I dropped them off, and we headed over to northwest Arkansas to just kind of go have some fun. And so we ended up at Best Buy at the Pinnacle Promenade. And I remember the reason why we were there is I was looking for – it was a Mission Impossible um, – set the new mission impossible movie was coming out and so you know that all the stores were trying to capitalize like well here's the first eight movies on one disc and one of those kind of things right and there was a you know it only cost like 12 bucks and there was a movie ticket for a voucher to go see the new one and i'm like well that thing almost pays for itself right there right so but it was somewhere around there that I got inspired to ask Amy if she wanted to go see Ant-Man at the, at the Malco over in Rogers. And I, we, she had just kind of gotten into guardians of the galaxy, the first one. And that was the only thing she'd ever watched Marvel. I was like, you know, well, this was supposed to be pretty funny and comical. And the newspaper had given it a pretty favorable review. And so we went and um she said yes i'll go and it was like getting engaged all over again right? <laughs> and uh we went to the movies and she loved it and i liked it and all that was wonderful and to this day ant-man remains one of her favorite movies for the marvel universe i mean she can watch it and just you know just enjoy it and i don't know if it's the comedy or if it's the fact that i think the movie doesn't take itself too seriously but she really enjoys it. And that, you know, that means a lot to me because it's kind of helped spur her along that and guardians of the galaxy have kind of gotten her into the MCU universe, which means she's watching them with me and I have Ant-Man to think for that. So um, we've seen this movie over and over and over and over. And, you know, the Luis comedy stuff with Michael Pena never gets old. Um, the storyline and all that does have some questionable things and stuff that's kind of cheesy, but overall it's a, it's a fun movie and does set Ant-Man up to be an important figure in the Marvel universe the rest of the way. By the way, second family story here, you know, my dad has been watching all these Marvel movies, but somehow along the way he missed Ant-Man and I've been telling him and telling him and telling him that he needs to watch Ant-Man. 
Well, so he finally sat down and watched Ant-Man. He really enjoyed it, uh, especially Michael Douglas's role, uh, our man Hank Pym. And uh, I was really happy to hear that from him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to your father, faithful listener. Just some backstory for our listeners. You just brought up Hank Pym. So where did all this originate? And where did Stanley? when did he decide to bring this uh, to the Marvel comics? Um, there was a seven-page solo story titled The Man in the Anthill. And essentially, uh, you know, it talks about Hank Pym, who's this scientist. He has this shrinking technology, and it shrinks him down. And it's basically like him surviving from being killed by ants. And a funny quote by Lee is, I did one comic book called The Man in the Anthill about a guy who shrunk down and there were ants or bees chasing him that sold so well that I thought making it into a superhero might be fun. And thus, because of that, eight issues later, boom, Ant-Man arrives, uh, Return of the Ant-Man, Tells to Astonish number 35 because Tells to Astonish 27 was that original one. And then it just kind of took off and Pim would go on. And because of all of his tech, he would get stuck as giant man. So that became an alter ego. And then he'd be Goliath, which would become an alter ego or identity. And then for our listeners, he becomes a superhero identity of yellow jacket, which is funny, which I'll get into how we get to where we're at in the movie because that's our villain. But uh, Pim, a very interesting arc. But isn't that just wild Stan Lee quote that he had this idea and people loved that one so much he thought, I'll make an entire superhero out of it. It's just funny how things work out, right? I mean, you know, these these superhero story arcs have been going on for so long, some of them, that, you know, some of the stories get just kind of, you know, you have to kind of step outside the box. Hence, you know, Captain America joining hydra or whatever twist that was i mean you know just some weird stuff and um but that you know you got to keep doing stuff like that to keep keep them relevant and you know who knows maybe the next the next round of uh obstacles for these superheroes will be the covid if it hadn't already hit them yeah right it's crazy to me he did the ant-man in the hill that that comic in 62 and by 1963 is when they first did the original Avengers comics and Ant-Man and the Wasp were original members. So this must have been very um, exciting or done very well in that era for him to make it such a crucial role in the Avengers arc. Wouldn't you love to get your hands on those those comics and just be able to read, you know, and not keep them in that mint condition that they need to be, but get get the story and soak them all in. There's so much of it. It's just amazing. I would love to have, you know, like Avengers number, which if you do get the Marvel uh, online digital library, I did a free trial. It does give you access to all, all of them, but it's not the same as physically uh, right. me holding them in your hand. So. Definitely. On to uh, release information, released July 17th of 20, uh, 2015. Domestically, it brings in $180 million. That makes it 21st out of 23. Yet internationally, brings in $339 million. So over half a billion worldwide, but relative to other numbers, this is low. Do you think it's because it's the title is Ant-Man, and that's not something people are jumping about? 
Nobody knew anything about it, really. I mean, one of the lesser-known Marvel characters, I think. And You know, I, I'm just going to go on a limb here, but people don't know who Paul Rudd is. Even maybe today, a lot of people don't know who he is. Um, it's not like um, if it would have been Tom Cruise playing Ant-Man, which I'll get into in a little bit, but, you know, he just doesn't have a lot of star power, in my my opinion. Um, yeah, uh, I I can see. I mean, it takes a. He's got a very. He's kind of been boxed into a very, very specific genre, right? Still, yeah, but still, basically, it made a half a billion dollars. What? Well, what? I'm sure it's the cost to make it was somewhere probably between 150 and 200 million. So, I mean, it did. You know, obviously, it did well enough for a sequel, and 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 now a trequel, as you point out later. So, um, and you know. You yourself even didn't go see it in the theaters. You did not contribute to this, you know, considering I probably spent $20 at the Malco. <laughs> that is true. I am, not a stat- I am not part of this statistic. What is amazing to me is internationally. So out of that $519 million, I mean, 65% of it is abroad. So somehow the rest of the world enjoyed it more or wanted, I, maybe they just had caught the Marvel bug and they're like, I don't care what it's called. I'm going. But don't, I would even say even the international money's down a little bit from what some of these others have been. Oh, I mean, know? yeah, that's, and like, and you were correct. The budget for this was 162 million. So that gets you, I mean, you made money. You made a lot of money off this. Oh yeah. You doubled, doubled your cost. I mean, you know, I think it a lot shows. Of movies would love to be able to do that. Oh yeah, I mean, t- normally you can, cons- like most movie pundits, consider over a hundred million dollar domestic as as a blockbuster type movie. So this is it. It's just relative to everything else. It ended up lower. Um, cast. You already mentioned him, Paul Rudd as Scott Lang. So kind of carry over to some of our that informational background with comics. You know, Scott Lang in the comics does become the second version of Ant-Man, and he first appeared in Marvel premiere number 47 in April of 79. Uh, Kind of like the movie, Scott Lang was a burglar, and his life as an electrical engineer, uh, one, he wasn't excited about it, and two, they ended up retconning that to say, well, he couldn't really support his family. Uh, And... Eventually, his daughter Cassie becomes seriously ill, and he does, in fact, find this person who can help her, and this person needs something done. And, and anyway, he does steal the Ant-Man suit from Pym. He breaks into Cross Enterprises, so that's where we get the Darren Cross part. Uh, you know, he frees that doctor. The doctor heals his daughter, and ultimately Hank Pym who at that time was known as the Yellow Jacket, decides, you know what? You did this for a good cause, so I'm going to let you keep it and become the hero that, kind of like they talk about in the movie, he's born to be, and he would go on to don the suit for many, many, many more years as Ant-Man. I thought uh, that's – I like when they sometimes stick to a character's uh, original comic arc. I I enjoyed that that was kind of part of the foundation. It's neat that they can get both, you know, the original one and the the new one in there. Right. You, know? you have some movies like I think the Green Lantern movie where there's so many guys who play the Green Lantern and you gotta just stick with one and go with it, you know? Or, you know, 
I think it would have been kind of weird to have Scott Lang in this and not have Hank Pym, you know, yeah, or or something to that effect. So, you know, uh, I that's really really interesting though information about the comic book. I just, you know, um, it's an interesting character. The more and more you read about it, I think. Yeah, I, he in fact. Um, because of his electrical engineering background, uh, I mean, Tony Stark even contracted him out to hook up security system for like uh, the Avengers mansion in the comics and eventually helps the Avengers in the comics. So, you know, they, it was great. Uh, it's great that they tied in all these different characters that historically were part of the Ant-Man arc. And I'll talk about Cross later about how he became Yellow Jacket. But on to Paul Rudd. So his literally the first movie he ever acted in is the first movie I ever saw him in. I remember watching Clueless with my brother, a classic 90s movie as far as like they're, all the wardrobe, like everything the characters are wearing in Clueless is what the, like the mid early 90s looked like. Would you um, believe I've never seen Clueless? Yeah, you, you literally don't have a clue of what you're missing. It's, I'm Clueless. Uh, it's, it's uh, it's pretty fun. I mean, it, it hasn't aged great, but, um, uh, but I really started to like. And you mentioned on our last pod, he's in Anchorman in two thousand four, and from there he just keeps showing up in all these great classic comedies like the Judd Apatow era, Forty Year Old Virgin, Knocked Up, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Role Models, I Love You Man. You know, all of those are in a five year span, six year span, and wow whatever role he plays, I do. I laugh so hard and forgetting Sarah Marshall. He has one of the smallest roles, but it's one of the like most quotable about, you know, he's teaching Jay, he's teaching Siegel's character how to surfboard. And it's just, it's incredible scene. Uh, but if you're going to cast someone that's going to be a comedic superhero, I think he's your guy. And I can't wait for ghostbusters, which he's going to have a big role in. You know, I've seen a lot of those Paul Rudd movies you mentioned. Um, you know, particularly Anchorman, I love it. Uh, I I have laughed so hard in the Forty Year Old Virgin. It was so funny, and yet I'd have got no recollection of Paul Rudd in it. Um, I've been thinking about that for a while now. Like, who? He, he he's the guy who just hates that they keep playing Kenny G, and the one that he can't get over his girlfriend. They broke up like four years previously, and he just keeps talking about her. You know, and. Now, so my wife watches Friends all the time. Oh yeah, he's Phoebe's. He's he's in Friends. He's in Parks and Recreation. I I want to say that I saw him in an episode or two of The Office, but I may be mistaken there. He is very funny. He just you know got a, a real um just a real talent for making people laugh. And I like you. I'm looking forward to the Ghostbusters, and you know. The cool thing about that is really have no idea what he's going to be in it, you know, or I what know. to expect from him. It's all going to be a surprise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, it's funny you say Parks and Rec. I literally just got to where he's running as Councilman Bobby. What's his last name? I can't. It's the. Oh, Sweetums, right? He's a, the, he's a, he's a Sweetums there. But yes. Oh, my gosh. He's it's it really adds to that season arc. I haven't finished it yet, but he he's great in it. Um. Michael Douglas as Dr. Hank Pym. And 
We keep seeing this show up in the MCU. This is a two-time Academy Award winner. One, he was a producer for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And he plays what I would call a top 10 bad guy in Gordon Gecko on Wall Street uh, as a guy who went to college and originally was a business major. I mean, that was a movie, you know, greed, <laughs> greed works. This is a quote from the And You know, it's, it's, he also has five golden globes and a primetime Emmy. So, you know, to be a son of such a Hollywood legend like Kirk Douglas and for him to have a career of his own, that's remarkable to me. Um, and I just love how all these guys keep showing up. For me, I know some of my favorites. There's the movie The Game with a great twist then, Falling Down, uh, War of the Roses, China Syndrome, of course, Basic Instinct because of, <laughs> I guess, the just unbelievable scene they put into that. But of course, for me, it's always going to be Wall Street with him uh, and a very young Charlie Sheen. So Michael Douglas has got to be the luckiest man alive, right? Aside from me and you because we have our wives, but... Um, you know, that old guy married Catherine Zeta-Jones. And, you know, that was a perception we always had of Michael Douglas in college, especially when Catherine Zeta-Jones was making her way onto the scene. You know, how, why him? You know, how, why, you know, it's not hard to see why. He's, he's a terrific actor. And, um, you know, some of my favorite Michael Douglas movies, The American President. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. It's yes. really good. Is it Yes. Is he, the, is it the one where he's sing? he's a single president? Like he isn't. Yes. He's, yeah. he's, he's, uh, I think his wife, he's widowed. Yes. I think in his, in, uh, is it Annette Benning? I think yes. he's dating. Yeah. Very good movie. Um, one of his funnier roles, one night at McCool's. Very Second funny. time it's come up on the pod. Whoa, man. Love it. A perfect murder disclosure and traffic. That's one of the best ones, I think, with, with our boy Don Chadle in it, too. So, um, you know, very, very distinguished acting career. Um, and, uh, you know, going to keep showing up throughout the, the as the, the gauntlet continues here. Yeah, I, uh, traffic. True, traffic is, um, I guess that's more of an, such an ensemble cast. But, yeah, he's, he's great in that, too. Um, well, he's the drugs are. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Evangeline Lilly as Hope Pym and Lost. Oh, that's, boy. It's all I have to say. Lost was one of my favorite shows from high school all the way into college. And she was, of course, she's Kate. And I also remember her in, in you know, the Hobbit trilogy and she had a very small role with fellow MCUer Jeremy Renner and Hurt Locker, but she will forever be lost. Have you watched Lost yet? I'm over halfway through Parks and Rec. Where are you at oh, on Lost? Uh, where could I find Lost? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can find it on Netflix. Um, I know I own my favorite season of it, season six. I have it on DVD, but the rest of it, I believe, is on Netflix. You aren't the only pal I've got who's obsessed with Lost. So maybe there's something to that. Maybe I just need to break down and... It's J.J. Abrams, and it's not like J.J. Abrams' uh, Rise of Skywalker. It's like really good J.J. Abrams. Hey, I thought Rise of Skywalker was really good, so... Oof. We'll get it. When, when we transition into just the Disney gauntlet and go into Star Wars, we can, <laughs> we can hash that out there. 
Hey, you liked it at midnight on whatever night. That Maybe was. I was just so tired. I thought I liked it because when on rewatch, I had I had a lot of. I just we we'll, we won't hash that out now. Um, hey, if you had seen my kid basically come fly to the ceiling, he was so excited that scene when Lando and that whole fleet shows up at the end. You know that is good. It is, and it's a great quote. With uh, they're just people, which that that was great. I do agree with that. And you know all the Kylo Ren. We need we need Adam Driver in a Marvel comic movie. I that, think we, he we would, need to make that happen. He'd be incredible. I, he's he may have been to the point now he's never going to do another franchise saga again because or maybe become, an X Men. Maybe he can be like the next somebody. You know he can be the next Magneto if they redo that. I don't know. <laughs> oh man! So you're telling me Lost is not cast away the TV show? It is not. It's not even close that island is a lot more than what uh tom hanks ended up on it's uh it's very deep and it's it's one of the it's one of the best shows i thought of time hopping in and out of pre like where they were before the island and some of the different traumas and tragedies and what brought them all together and all that it's uh you know spoiler alert some of them do get off the island. Some of them have to go back to the island. It's a whole, it's a big whole thing, but it's worth a watch. I don't know if I, I want to ask my buddy if I can find it, but he and his friends, when they were, I don't know what they were doing, but they made a video called lost without lost. I'm lost without lost. It's funny. I, I'll have to see if I can find it and send it to you. Uh, yeah, that was when it, it, when it finally ended, of course the ending controversial because of so many years of people, suggesting what they thought the ending would be like and abram saying oh that's not it and it essentially becoming what he said it wouldn't uh but love i love this the characters in it i mean i rallied behind jack who's i would call the main protagonist so he was one of my favorites and uh i liked his how his arc ended Corey stall is darren cross a little backdrop on darren cross darren cross in the comics made his first uh, he made his premiere the same around the same time as Scott Lang in Marvel premiere 47. And he was just a millionaire that had founded this, you know, very successful corporation. So many millionaire villains uh, in these comics. And he had this really bad heart condition. So he started doing experiments with all these different things. Uh, basically what ended up happening is another villain called Egghead had stolen the yellow jacket suit from Hank Pym and sold it to Cross, who then would go on to don the suit and use it. Um, Because of some of his experiments on his own pacemaker, it kind of enhanced, he had enhanced physical abilities. He had the regenerative healing factor, kind of like a, a Wolverine. And... Because of him, you know, like in the movie, kind of kidnaps or gets Cassie Lang, that causes, you know, this rivalry between him and Scott Lang, which kind of carried on for them to be a nemesis, I guess, and why they used them in this movie. Hmm. So, you know, Stoll, he... I remember the movie Midnight in Paris, which is a Woody Allen movie, and he plays Ernest Hemingway in it. And I don't know if that is how Ernest Hemingway was in real life, but it's hilarious. 
But really for me, House of Cards, he was Peter Russo, and I loved him in that show. And, you know, his, I don't think the character in this movie really does him justice. Um, he played Buzz Aldrin in First Man that recently came out, but I think he really loves television because he's done House of Cards. He did that for three years. He did The Strain for three years, and now he's on Billions, which is one of my dad's favorite shows. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just... I don't know about this character, but him as an actor, he has some uh, some charisma or, or power behind his acting, and maybe that's his stature. I think he's uh, around six foot four. I thought I saw, uh, but uh, not my favorite villain. No, and not mine either. Um, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I don't think Corey Stoll did a bad job. I just, you know, I wonder. We we worked so hard to to set him up as a yellow jacket, and it's just he's gone in an instant. Now now is he truly True. gone? That's that's a question I have for maybe another another bit in the show here. But um, you know, that's an that's a great point. He only literally becomes the yellow jacket for the last fifteen twenty minutes, maybe. Yeah. Michael Pena as Luis, though. I mean, oh, yeah. Guy's been in Million Dollar Baby, Crash, Babel, American Hustle, and The Martian. Those are just movies that he's in that have either been nominated for Best Picture or won Best Picture, and, and he's in them in some capacity. I really love End of Watch, Gangster Squad, and the only real movie where he's had a lead role was his portrayal of Cesar Chavez. He's really the MVP of the movie. Like when he goes on those rants so quickly and so seamlessly and they're incredible. I, it's hinted and it's been popping up over and over again that, that they may have him and Ant-Man 3 give a very quick recap of all the events of Infinity War and Endgame. Give us what we want. There's some funny memes out there with Michael Pena about, you know, 2020 so far even. They're just, you know really funny uh you know i think he's the funniest guy in the movie yeah hands down and you know like in the martian he's not really that funny you know no. but he's he does a great job in it um this one though he's just you know you just can't you can't wait to hear what's going to come out of his mouth um and i just i've been trying to figure out how do they how do they queue up those those what we call Luis's stories or Luis's recaps. I don't, I don't know, but how did they do that? You know, that had to have been difficult to yeah, and to get, to get did right. They, do you think they sped? Because you know, even for our listeners, if they're on Spotify or Apple, you can change uh, the speed of which you hear us go through these movies. Do you think they did that with him, or is he just capable of going through? No, that? I think he's. I think he's that talented now. Yeah, that's why crazy, stupid, fine. You know, oh, crazy. <laughs> uh director peyton reed um bring it on i love you man and the breakup along with this movie but he's one of the few guys in this universe he does the sequel and he's doing the trequel and Mm. outside of gun no one has directed all three in a series with as far as like iron man one two three thor one two three like so at least it's going to feel the same, you know, because I thought Ant-Man and the Wasp felt the same as, Ant- as the first Ant-Man. You know, the problem you got with all those Star Wars movies being directed by different people where yes. they, they felt different, you know? Oh, yeah. And 
the tone, the feeling, uh, like you think about Last Jedi to Rise of Skywalker. It's like one director wants to retcon or, or take away something the other director did. And uh, yeah, you're right. At least it will kind of, it'll have the same, all three will be the same. Like, you know, think of Thor Dark World to Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. <laughs> well, some some things needed to get better. So yes, I, you know, it's it, obviously either <laughs> Reed got this role because of Paul Rudd, or Paul Rudd got this role because of Reed because they worked together in I, the movie I Love You Man just years before. He obviously enjoys comedy when you look at his filmography, uh, but I thought you know he's he's got some pretty good action sequences, but. For this comic or what they were going with as far as trying to make this a funnier film, you had to go with a director with more of a comedic vision, I, w- I would guess, was what they were thinking. I guess so. You know, and that, the, the, the thing is, though, you don't want it just to be all comedy. You know, you want to be able to mix in some, some good action. They did a good job of doing that. In this. Well, so. I think that goes into the just – who they all they brought in to collaborate on writing it. So Edgar Wright was the first writer who wrote most of this story before they brought in Adam McKay and Paul Rudd to give, finish it off because of some differences amongst studio director, writer. So Edgar Wright was the first guy. And this is the man who gave us Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Adventures of Tintin and Baby Driver. So he's written almost all of the movies he's been a part of the writing team on. He also directed except for a few, including this one, you know, Scott Pilgrim versus the world is a comic book movie. It's a comic book style movie it even has Chris Evans in it. So it had action in it and it had some funny parts in it. So he had some experience in those genres. It's crazy that he, they had so many differences that he ends up leaving the table but I, I, they liked most of the work he'd done, which is another great. Usually they just get rid of everything. Yeah. What were the differences? Um, I think in, I, in trivia night, uh, I'll kind of get to that of something okay. that he wanted for a vision and something they didn't want to continue on. They, they didn't like his vision or, or what he was here. I'll just go ahead and, and cut to now. So a part of trivia night is Edgar Wright wanted the film to be a complete standalone with no references to any other films in the MCU. And you had that, you had kind of what you, we've kind of talked about on this. They wanted more of a just straight comedic tone. And he was like, that doesn't make sense. If we're doing a Marvel movie, we have to have these action. It's a superhero movie. So you had that and you had, he wanted this to be a standalone and he had even wanted to do it many, many years previously. And, you know, Disney was like, no, this is, we're building a universe. Yeah, I don't blame Disney on this one then because, you know, they, they have a vision for what they're wanting to do to plan. And, you know, this one needs to be a part of it and fit in. Yeah, yeah, as we'll see later on. And then, so they turned it over to Adam McKay, which what a grab from Marvel on their fly here. Um, and Graham, I would imagine you've seen some of these comedies. So Anchorman. Check. Talladega Nights. Check, but not a big fan of it. Okay. Step Brothers. No, sir. I have not seen Step oh, Brothers. I've heard the, it's funny. The other guys might be my favorite one on the list because it pairs Farrell with Marky Mark and it's it's and it's even got some baseball in it. 
Okay, I yeah, I I missed out on that one. And then, and then Anchorman Two is you know what it is, what it is. But yeah, sadly, I have seen Anchorman Two. Ooh, but then it's crazy because he's also done some big time award or blockbuster movies. He did The Big Short, which has an all star cast, and he recently did Vice with Christian Bell playing uh, former Vice President Dick Cheney. So he can write fast paced funny comedies, or he can write movies with big con- with you know big talent. It was a good. I guess this was a good find, but this definitely shifted into, well, we're just stick with this comedy side. You know, I, so really the only one on that list I liked was Anchorman. The first one. Um, I don't know. I just never was a big Ricky Bobby. And I, I granted, I don't think I've seen it enough. It just, to me, I, you know, when it comes to Will Ferrell movies, there's some I like and some I don't. And, um, I, I would go. I would agree with that. The other guys is like I said, it's up there for me. Ricky Bobby would be way down there for me. But what I'm wondering is, you know, with with this with this movie, you, know, you have um, when are when are we going to start to see some of the other guys from like uh, the guy who plays Champ Kind and you know Will Ferrell and some of these guys that have kind of blended into other universes like The Office and so. When are we going to see them in a Marvel movie? I was thinking about that last night while we were watching The Office. Yeah, I, I, it's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, if that's a project they want to take on or, or if with if you look at what Marvel has ahead, if any of them really fit within the universe because uh, some of, a lot of those movies are going to have a very serious tone. Maybe they could show up in Thor 4 because Taika can definitely – bring some comedy yet keep a story arc that keeps you entertained uh on the drama side action side yeah yeah i'm i'm looking forward to that just to um if if what we saw from thor ragnarok and and the mandalorian was any indication it's gonna be exciting and jojo rabbit i'm telling you go give it a shot um trivia night we've already discussed one uh this one's one of my favorites well, Paul Rudd tells his nine-year-old son he's going to be the Ant-Man. And his son responded with, wow, I can't wait to see how stupid that will be. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something Paul Rudd would say. Yeah, yes, definitely. It sounds like something he'd say in a movie. Um, the next one, the Falcons' role in the plot came after Adam McKay and Paul Rudd, because Paul Rudd was a writer on this. They went to see Winter Soldier, which we've discussed on a previous pod. And they just fell in love with the character. And they just kind of threw it out there to Kevin Feige that, hey, we want to work him in. And he was like, actually, that would work perfectly. And since Falcon's at the New Avengers compound now and after, you know, Ultron, and they went with it, which is a, I'm glad it's a good part in the movie. Yeah, it's a nice little, um, nice little tease there in the middle of the movie. Um you don't see that a whole lot. No. So I was excited about that. The last one I have, Michael Douglas explained that he took the role of Hank Pym saying most importantly, and we've heard this before. So I love, I did it for my children. They're so excited. I finally got a picture that they're so excited about. Dad's cool. Again, you have to understand most of my career. I've only done rated R movies, pictures. 
and they can never sing any of them. So at the time, they had just turned 14 and 12, respectively, which the fact that you call him an old geezer and he's got a 14, 12-year-old. Uh, well, his wife's like 50 years younger than him. Oh, I know. The, the Saturday Night Live skit once upon a time was, what's it like changing your child's diapers and your husband's diapers at the same time? Um, <laughs> so he said it would be a lot of fun and, and you know for them to be able to do this. So once again, a guy we talked about um, – several men in this universe that did this because they wanted their kids or grandkids to see them in a movie. It just makes me wonder, you know, like who's the next awesome big time former movie star that we're going to get. We're going to get Sean Connery, maybe at 99 years old. Are we going to get, <laughs> you know, I, I doubt it's him, but <laughs> I would just like a Morgan Freeman narration to set something or up. Or a Harrison Ford. I mean, I, he's been in star Wars and I get all that, but you know, William Shatner at 90 years old. I mean, you know, somebody, you know, let's, let's keep the line moving here with these big stars joining the universe. That brings us into the plot synopsis rundown, which this movie opens in 1989 and it shows a younger Hank Pym, which great job on the FX slash makeup they used. Uh, he's resigning from S.H.I.E.L.D. after realizing that Howard Stark, here goes Stark messing around with stuff, uh, he'd been trying to replicate the PIM particle, and this kind of sets a background of why he isn't involved with S.H.I.E.L.D., why he... Uh, it's also clear that they're wanting this, and that guy, the guy, the one guy that's sitting there, part of the group with Agent Carter and Stark, always plays a bad guy. So from go, you're like, this guy's probably Hydra. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know... What a job, but like you said, the effects, you know, you can't even tell that's Haley Atwell. Oh, yeah. It's like the Michael Douglas looks like him from, you know, uh, Basic Instinct. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, the, in the suit in Wall Street, that's a good, good comparison for sure. We flash to present day, and there's Scott Lang. He's in San Quentin prison, and they're doing this weird like he says such a strange goodbye tradition with a, a, a prisoner when he gets picked up by his old cellmate Luis uh, who offers to let him stay at his apartment and that's when you first love Luis because it's like you know how's your girl and that whole sequence is we'll get into that on quotes um, Scott though he's he struggles to find a legitimate job now because of his criminal record uh you know, he, he ends up working at a, a Baskin Robbins, all these different places. But he first got into crime in the movie arc because he found out the company worked for had been overcharging their customers. So he hacked on the system and transferred millions of dollars back to the customers. Uh, Luis at his apartment introduces Scott to T.I., who uh, plays the character Dave and a character named Kurt who's an identity theft specialist. And he says, I got this tip about a robbery. And Scott's like, I don't want, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. And I do like the whole little gang here that they have the foreign guy whose name I can't enunciate, but he plays Kurt. He's actually hilarious. Wasn't he in the dark night? I got to look at that face and it hit me. Wasn't he the guy that played, um, The the guy that the Joker had put in that building that Batman ends up finding 
the face. Oh, the one that. Oh, the one that is is wearing a. He he's yes he he's wearing the on his cop tag. It says yeah, is it? Harvey Dent or Rachel Dawes or something. Yeah, yeah. And is that uh, Dent takes him and almost kills him. Yeah, is that not him? It is him. Yeah, much different role this time around. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Just about from when you the, think you're about to lose your mind. Yeah. So. From from there, uh, Hank Pym gets invited to a presentation at the company he founded, Pym Tech. And he runs into his daughter there, Hope, and his former protege, Darren Cross. And they, he shows this prototype of a yellow jacket suit modeled basically after the Ant-Man suit that Hank once wore. Uh, Darren, though, he hasn't figured out successfully at how to shrink living tissue he can only shrink uh you know non-organic material uh this is when we immediately get to see the, the villainy in him when he just zaps that guy into goo unbelievable i forgot that was in the movie no i'd, I'd remember that and you know we've seen this one a lot so it wasn't a surprise to me but you get pretty good idea you know quickly what what type of guy Cross is. Yeah, oh yeah. We flash to Scott. He borrows Luis's van and he drops in on the birthday party of his daughter Cassie. Uh, he runs into Cassie's soon-to-be stepfather, Officer Jim Paxton, and there, he's not happy to see him. His wife Maggie, you know, she's like, you got to find a job and pay off the child support before you can start visiting Cassie. And, you know, He's like, the Jim's like, hey, you got to get out of here, Scott. And he says goodbye to Cassie. Uh, and that's rough on him. Man. Like, when he's sitting there doing the math on whether or not, you know, he can take care of how long he can see her, he's like, this, you know, this sucks. And it's t- it was tough to see. Yeah. And, you know, thank goodness I've never been in that position. But, you know, I have lots of people who are close to that have been. Um, and it's always hard. and. Um, man, I'm just those kind of moments do kind of hit home to me all the time when I see them because I I never been in their shoes, but I just can't even imagine what it's like. So, which is why you know he realizes it take three hundred and seventy something odd days to see Cassie again if he had a minimum wage job. So. He asks Luis about his tip, and Luis said, this is the first time we get to see a Luis rant, and he says his cousin Ernesto had a friend, Emily, who was a housekeeper, was dating Ernesto's friend Carlos. Carlos said the man, you know, his house she was cleaning, there's a giant safe, and they should go rob it. And Scott's like, all right, I'm in. So they, Man, you don't do it as good as Luis did it. Oh, no, no. Well, I'm saving it because we're getting the quotes. I think it's part of our quotes. But, yes, you know, my cousin Ernesto, man, it is great. Uh, Luis picks up the supplies for the break-in. Kurt steals a communication tech uniform. That night, Kurt goes up the pole. You know, he shuts off all the stuff, all the phone lines. Scott climbs a fence. We get to see that he's kind of like an acrobat. He's got some moves on him. Takes up the window sensors, gets into the house. And when he gets in the house, gets to the basement, and there's like a there's a door that needs a fingerprint. So he gets to show off some of his, you know, his cleverness here. Cause he uses tape and gets a thumbprint off of a door. So he opens that door only to find another set. The safe is just a huge steel safe, old safe. 
He figures out using basically nitrogen to freeze it. It warps the steel, blows up, gets in the safe, and boom, there's nothing in there but this weird-looking bodysuit and helmet. He grabs it and heads on out, but all the while he's being watched by Hank Pym, who's in a little his little lab thing. It's like right next door, which is hilarious. And uh, I'll get into questions corner later about how this movie could have turned out completely different. But uh, interesting setup to kind of tie to comics that he steals the suit. Yeah, and you know. One thing we talked about while we were watching it is like, you know, why make it so overly complicated for him to get the suit? I mean, are you, I guess you're testing right, him if out. Right, you've already but, decided this is the guy. Right. And, you know, and that's why it's Hollywood, right? I mean, it always works out the way that he planned it. And um, yet the simplest things go wrong from there on out, you know? Yeah. Um, and... You know, why does, you know, why does Scott just so happen to have some liquid nitrogen with him? You know? <laughs> it's true. True. <laughs> so true. Or, and then the, the whole thing about, you know, the, the thumbprint and all that. I mean, just, you know, very resourceful. And that, I think that's what they were ultimately, that's what they were trying to show is um, how he was able to do that. And then he gets back to the apartment and he tries on the suit sees the different buttons and the different liquids. He pushes the button. It shrinks him down to just, uh, you know, ant size. Uh, Luis comes in the bathroom, turns on the water in the tub. I guess he's about to take a shower or a bath. You know, big old tidal wave, and you get this fun scene that starts taking Scott all over the place, yet he can hear Michael Douglas in his earpiece. He tries to return to normal size, but he can't, and then it just turns into him. He goes to this party. Uh, he lands on a record player needle. He avoids getting stomped on. He falls into the, you know, basically the sewer. All this stuff happens, and he essentially ends up being thrown onto the hood of a, or on top top of a car. And when he lands on that car, boom, he goes back to normal size. Just another quick trivia note: the the man inside the car is the man who played the live action Ant Man in a Comedy Central or SNL skit many years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. How about that? Um, um, you know, after this, though, Scott's like, this is insane. What the heck? Uh, he's realizing so much tracked him. So he goes to return the suit, you know, breaks in easily, gets out of the gate, and boom, there's cops there to arrest him. And one of the cops that's waiting for him at the prison is Paxton. And... uh you know, he's disappointed him and he's disappointed because he was really rooting for him. Uh, the partner of Paxton, Gail, who plays Julius and remember the Titans. Uh, wow. Like, yeah. yeah. I see that now. He's yeah. He's oh, he's grew up. He grew up and, uh, tells him Scott's lawyers there and Scott's like lawyer. And, and, you know, he, he walks into a room and who's sitting there waiting for him. Hank Pym. That was, uh, it's, you know, it's like, did the, could they not realize that, oh, I'll get in that question, Corey. Anyway, he offers Scott two choices. Either he can go to prison for life or he can follow his instructions. And Scott's like, you know, he's so thrown off. So much information get thrown off, thrown at him in, in such a short amount of time. Uh, you know, Hank tells him, I, I let you steal the suit. I planted the entire thing. I, like, this was my setup. And Scott's taken back to his jail cell. 
army of ants bring him the suit. He puts on the suit, shrinks just in time, escapes the prison on Antony, and uh, you know flies across the city, which he passes out because of, I guess, too much G-force. I don't know what's going on, but just a, a fun scene, the whole escape sequence. Most definitely. And um, I, I got another Tony Stark questions corner, things that don't make sense you know, for the, for that scene too. But, um, yeah, he, he passes out and then wakes up in, in Hank Pym's house. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So he wakes up there and he kind of gets some backstory. Uh, he finds out that, you know, Hank invented the suit and, you know, he was afraid to be misused. So he locked it away for many years. And then, you know, Darren find, found out about the shrinking tech, and Hank wouldn't give it to him, and and Darren forced Hank out of Hank, Pym Tech, and Hope, once she realized how dangerous Darren was, she teamed up with Hank to, to stop him, basically, and, and Hank tells Scott that he needs him to become the Ant-Man and stop people like Darren, and Scott realizes he has a chance to become the hero that's kind of his ex-wife hinted at, that his daughter already thinks that he is, so you know, they, they start training them up in martial arts and on the different ant colonies and how to time becoming small and growing back big again and all these different things. And it leads to a practice trial run for our guy here and what they think is an abandoned Stark industry warehouse, which we already knew. Even the first time I watched this, when they said abandoned Stark facility and they showed the aerial view, I was like, that's the new Avengers headquarters. <laughs> well, they said upstate New York. That's all. Yes. Yeah. You know. Plus, I think I've been tipped off when originally when I that I that this was going to happen. I don't know. Um, I don't know how I saw that, but I just knew. It was. It is great because he lay, he sees the Avengers logo, lands on the roof, triggers the sensor, and we get Sam Wilson a.k.a. Falcon, on the roof investigating. He sees Scott. They have this great battle that we'll talk about later. But, you know, Scott, he almost jeopardizes everything, but he does get what they need from the Avengers headquarters and go. kind of shows off he's ready to go. When Scott returns, Hank explains the truth about how Hope's mother died uh, and that there was a, this missile that had been launched at the U.S. and Hank was trying to stop it, so he and he couldn't get his regulator to make him small too, you know, small enough to fit between the atoms of the steel. So Wasp did it instead, and, and she went subatomic. And that put her in the quantum realm, and she was lost there for what they think is forever. And he tells them, never mess with the regulator. It was, that's a good job of setting up the rest of the universe, really. Yeah. And, you know, I think I, I thought about um... – when when they mentioned subatomic and going subatomic, I knew someone was going to go subatomic before this movie was over. So right. it's, <laughs> like, it's it. like, don't push that button. Someone ends up pushing the button type thing. Like it always happens in movies. Yeah. And man, I, I that that's one of my favorite part. When all that ends up happening, we're, we're really jumping ahead here, but when we get to all that, it's, um, just the concept of it and their vision for what it looks like. Oh, just good stuff. I'm excited about that, that part of it. 
Darren Cross, though, while all this is going on, he finally figures out how to successfully shrink probably the 700th lamb. You know, he probably killed 699 before then. And he invites Hank to the grand unveiling. And he calls Hope and tells her that he has increased security, including, like, of course, this is, you know, he actually literally shows up to Hank's house and is already sitting in there creepily with, like, his OJ Simpson murder gloves on, which is, it was like, <laughs> how do they not like, why don't just kill him right then? Anyway, uh, they're going to cover the vents with this microscopic mesh. They're basically going to make it Ant-Man proof. And they realize it's going to be a harder job, but they, they, so they recruit Luis and Kurt and Dave, bring them all in. Luis is going to play a security guard that lowers the water pressure to allow Scott to come in through the pipes on the ants. Scott plants explosives throughout the building because they want to basically blow up all the information that's only saved at this one location. And, you know, Scott gets all the way to the Yellow Jacket suit, but boom, it's found out that Darren had planned all of this all along. He knew what was going on. He's going to sell the tech to Hydra, which it's funny when he goes, they're different now. They're not the same Hydra as they were before. And we're like, what? We just saw Winter Soldier. They are the same. They're, like, they're still terrible. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. That's that's where I kind of got hung up, too, is like, was he expecting Hank Pym to be the man to come and get him? Or, you know. He knew about Lang, though, which is it's so I don't. Apparently, he's got some very good surveillance. He knew about the Avenger break in thing. Like, how are the Avengers getting security leaks? I don't know. I don't know either. So we get into uh, Darren gets in his the, you know his chopper on the roof. He goes to escape. Uh, H- Hank and Hope break out in that, which is great with the tank keychain because oh man. They, even the keychain part stays on, which is great. Of course, Dr. Pym had been shot, so they're you know, they trying to save him. Uh, in the helicopter, you get a great scene or fight between Scott and he finally had – he puts it on so fast, but the yellow jacket suit yeah. finally gets finally – Well, that's gets, not the only time a suit gets put on fast. We'll get into that. Yes. Gets, he puts the suit on, and they start their fight. They, you know, they, get in, they get caught inside of a briefcase, and that falls and tumbles to earth. Uh, they end up in someone's backyard, and Scott's able to basically hit a home run out of Cross into a bug zapper. Uh, but the cops show up, and they arrest Scott before he can ever do anything. Uh, but Darren, you know, once he wakes up from the bug zapper, he goes to Jim and Cassie's house and, and threatens their lives, and he wants to draw Scott in. And Scott arrives, and they fight. And the only way Scott can think to get inside Darren's suit is to shrink subatomic, and he does so, and it causes Darren to shrink into literally nothing, killing him. Or Lang, so we though, think. he's trapped in quantum realm. But only after hearing Cassie's voice does he manage to rewire the suit, reverse the process, come back to normal, and boom, there he is. Paxton's so grateful that he doesn't send Scott back to prison. It's like none of that ever happened. And Hank starts to wonder if Hope's mother is still alive somewhere in there. And Luis tells Scott that the Falcon is looking for him, setting up civil war. We get some, um, you know, an end sequence of Hank showing Hope the new wasp suit that he's going to let her use. And then, you know, our other our end credit scene, we get the, is this a, this is a scene from Winter Soldier, right? It's, or from Civil War. It's an exact scene from yeah. Civil War, right? Yeah, it is. It's been kind of in the middle of the movie. 
Yeah. When uh, they're, they just sort of caught up to the winter soldier, Bucky Barnes. And um, my wife and I were arguing over this one because she thought they were referring to black Panther. I'm like, no, they're not referring to black Panther because black Panther at this point in the movie is trying to kill Bucky Barnes. Yes. And it makes sense that Falcon's the one that says, I know a guy. Yeah. They're referring to the Ant-Man. Yeah. But you know, yeah, our wives are always right. Choose man. your battles. So <laughs> don't die on that hill. That's right. So we'll go to our favorite scenes. Uh, give me one of yours, and then we'll just serpentine back and forth. What is one of your favorite scenes? Well, I, so mine. Um, I will start with the, um, and you have some of my favorites. Obviously, the, the Louise quotes. We'll get into those, but the. Um, the breakfast scene with Lang, Hank, and Hope. You know, you really get to kind of, you weren't really sure what Hope was all about until that one scene where they're, you know, kind of sitting there together at the table in, in Hank's house. And you learn a lot there, I think, about what's going, what's really going on. Yeah, yeah, that is a, that, that it's a good one. It kind of, just that whole, even him waking up, it kind of gives you some backstory. I've got Luis in the van there at the beginning when he's like, yeah, you know, how's your girl? Ah, she left me. Oh, and my mom died too. And my dad got deported. And he's like, yeah, but I got the van and it's just like, (laughs) and you've given away one of your good quotes. Uh, I'll just double up there. One of my favorite quotes there for our listeners with one of my favorite scenes. What's one of, uh, what's another scene for you? So when, when, when Scott, um, not the first time he put on the Ant-Man suit, but when he's sort of training inside Hank's house, trying to go through the keyhole and all that, the, the whole sequence where he's learning how to, you know, learn how to properly punch and, and all that with hope and all, all that's really good, good fast paced sequence. I enjoyed it. I like the first meeting with cross because I mean, from go, you see he's changed the name of Pym tech to cross technologies, which is a shout out to the comics there when, when he invites Hank the first time, but when he just kills the dude in the bathroom who all he did was raise like one objection and you know, you immediately, I mean, you already knew he was going to be the villain just by tone and and casting, but for him just to lose it that much, it kind of shows some of his, he's clearly insane even without the shrinking technology getting to his brain. Yeah. And just wipes the guy up with a paper towel. Insane. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with the giant Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, you know, sir, I you know having a, a boy and you know autistic little boy at that, and we have spent quite a bit of money over the years on Thomas the Tank Engine products, and um, and not not the you know the the off brand ones. I mean the real thing. And so whenever we saw that giant Thomas the Tank Engine, we knew that someone in our house was going to enjoy that part of it. And so I got to hand it to him on that one. That one was funny. I love me. I used to watch the heck out of some Thomas the train. So yeah, that was, that was fun to see. One of my, one of my favorite memories of one of me and my cousin, when he was when he was like probably two is he loved Thomas and he had this incredible Thomas the train whole set. And it reminds me of the set that they have the little scene on. Um, oh yeah well uh, another scene one day you'll get your little boy and get to spend all kinds of money on on thomas trains oh and nerf i'm buying buy every nerf gun imaginable (laughs) 
first suit use for me when he when he kind of shrinks down and, and he's so confused and there's like you know he know Luis can't hear him he's trying to get away he falls on the record player all the different things that go into that whole sequence was a fun watch from the first time even on rewatch oh it kind of disgusting how awful your bathtub is oh you know? man you're telling me that was Woo-hoo. man um I'm going to go with the whole, you know, the tank. It's not a keychain. That that one to me just blew me away. I did not expect that one. And, you know, it gets even better in the next one when, you know, he's able to shrink down a building and, you know, carry it off like a suitcase. I mean, that's just. Oh, yeah. And like the battery that powers the lab is a Duracell battery that's just. Oh, been... yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, I'm going to go with Falcon versus Ant Man fight. Uh, Golly, not a good look for our boy Falcon though, because Ant Man takes him down. The the best part was we were, you know, when he's I just did beat an Avenger, and Amy was like, "Yeah, like a second tier Avenger." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really sets the table for Civil War though, with him getting in the suit and messing with the suit. Like, no mm-hmm. spoiler alert for what he does to Stark in Civil War, but yeah, that I liked that part of it. Yeah. Um, my last one is the the scene their their vision of him going subatomic and what that looks like. Um, really just interesting, and um, I won't say anything more about it. It's just you just gotta watch it and just see what their vision looks like. It, it's really kind of cool. It is some some great shots of that. Uh, my last one is when they fight in the briefcase. <laughs> and yeah, I have all the little stuff in there. I, but that will segue us into favorite quotes because what sets that up is, I'm going to disintegrate you. And then you hear Siri say, playing disintegration by the cure. And it sets up music with the fight scene. I think it, it was so perfectly done. I wish that would have been the last battle and not some of the stuff we got after. <laughs> yeah. And then I asked Amy, I was like, when's the last time you had some lifesavers? You know? <laughs> Those used to be all over the place. Um, so I'm going to go with, you know, the opening, one of the opening scenes where they're in the Baskin Robin. Well, actually, he's right before he gets fired. And, and, you know, it's almost a repeat line from earlier when he says, Baskin Robbins always finds out, bro. That one from Luis was a good, was a good quote. Yes. Yeah. And we love Baskin Robbins. And why we don't have one up here is just tragedy. So many great flavors. Um, I like when... <laughs> Uh, Scott, it's at your scene at the breakfast table, I believe. And Scott raises his hand, and Hank's just like, You don't have to raise your hand, Scott. It's like, <laughs> Good, good scene. Good scene. Um, I like when Scott shows up to his daughter's birthday party and he pulls out this ridiculously hideous looking bunny rabbit and to give to his daughter. And, and Cassie goes, He's so ugly. I love him. It, I thought that was really funny. Yeah, I, I, I laugh at it. Too. It's, so. it's like that just shows how much she loves him. It didn't really matter what it looked like. It was just a gift from daddy, right? Hey, that's how it is, you know. Uh, next one, I like when Scott goes, I think our first move should be calling the Avengers. And, you know, <laughs> Pim's just like, I've, I've, I've hid this from a Stark before. I'm not handing it over to another Stark. Yeah, very funny. Um, and to, to piggyback on that, after he, you know, after he does defeat Falcon, you know, 
uh, Falcon says something to the effect of, it's really important to me that Cap never finds out about this. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'll get into questions corner. Some of the, it's like he would have found out somehow. Uh, I like when Luis says, the, the, you know, they've recruited, uh, Scott's recruited the whole crew to help with their plan. And Luis is in the house. And he's, thank you for the coffee, ma'am. It's not too often that you rob a place and then get welcome back. And he's like, because we just robbed you. <laughs> Luis needed more lines. Yes, more Luis. Um, pardon my French on this one, but when Scott says, uh, my days of breaking into places and stealing shit are over, what do you need me for, to do? Hank Pym just deadpans. I want you to break into a place and steal some shit. And he's, <laughs> Makes sense, I think is what Scott says or something like that. And uh, I like your, go ahead, and, and since I already told my uh, one with the van, tell me your last quote. Um, when, uh, you know, there, he gets to the safe in Hank Pym's house, and he says, it's a Carbondale. It's from 1910, made from the same steel as the Titanic. And when Luis goes, wow, can you crack it? And Scott says, well, here's the thing. It doesn't do so well in the cold. Remember what that iceberg did? And Luis goes, yeah, man, it killed DiCaprio. And Dave T.I., he goes, killed everyone. And Kurt goes, did not kill the old lady. She still threw the jewel into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's they, they, how they play off each other's lines, and that's a good uh, – Kurt has a few in there that are good, and, and uh, I enjoyed – is he in the sequel? I can't even remember right now. Oh, yeah, I think all yeah. those guys show back up. Dot, well, speaking, speaking of casting – we're at the Doctor Strange What If universe with casting possibilities, and there are some really interesting ones here. Some three big ones rumored for Scott Lang, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Adrian Brody, and our very own Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor, rumored to play Scott Lang. In fact, Brody even, Jack, pitched himself on live television for the role. Uh, any of those actors you would have liked in this role? Um, I don't think Joseph Gordon-Levitt's that funny, so probably not him. And Adrian Brody, I just can't see it. Ewan McGregor, I mean, I think his maybe his time is is passed on stuff like this. I'm, but, he's gonna be in the Obi Wan series. Yeah, you know, but he's older now, and Obi and Obi Wan would be older a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the one I the one I'd heard about this, I mentioned to it or alluded to it earlier, was that. At some point, they, someone, when they were talking, not necessarily the MCU universe, but maybe even before that, when they were trying to figure out how to do comic book movies in general, was that Tom Cruise was once in the running to play Ant-Man. And I could see that one. You know, I, I don't know why. I could just see it. Um, I don't know if it was a, a Hank Pym or a Scott Lang role, but um, I've also heard that about Tony Stark, though. So Yes, I, that was yeah, that, too. You know, it's funny you say that. When they talked about originally doing this movie years ago, they had talked about doing it, you know, using Hank Pym, and even for this movie, but they decided to go against that because the original Hank Pym in some of the comics, he, he hit his wife, and he was an alcoholic in some of the, and like you had, and used prostitutes and all this bad things that you really don't want out of a comic hero. So they were like, well, let's not use Pim. Let's like segue. We'll have Pim, but we'll segue into Lang. 
but Tom Cruise is an interesting one. That's a guy who needs to show up in an MCU movie. Yeah, if we could ever get him to quit making Mission Impossible movies. Whoa, which, I liked Fallout. I, I like them too, man. I just, you know, I just can't, I can't distinguish one from the other one. It's, it's, I, I will say Ghost Protocol was way better than, you know, when you had the third one, second and third one were not my favorites, even though they had third one had Tom, uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. But I liked Gro- Ghost Protocol when he's climbing the uh, huge tower in Abu Dhabi or whatever, or the Emirates. I still kind of like the first one with the I mean, yeah, that's going to be an all-timer. Um, so we talked about Pim. Some other people rumored to play Hank Pym were Gary Oldman, who I – absolutely love uh, another dark knight um alum with joseph gordon levitt sean bean for our game of thrones people out there and then pierce brosnan the former 007 that's an interesting one i could see pierce i could see sure. pierce you know i he's kind of funny too pierce brosnan is you you can't be james bond without being a little bit funny Yes. So, oh, yeah. Like the one-liners here and there. Oh, yeah. Sean Bean, that's an interesting one. You know, for a while there, all Sean Bean could ever play was villains or guys that, that straddle that line, like his role in um, in The Lord of the Rings, where he's, mm-hmm. you know, all nearly goes to the dark side to get that ring National back. National Treasure, he plays the bad Oh, guy. yeah. Well, Patriot Games, he was a real jerk in that movie. Um and then Gary Oldman is so versatile. You know, you can hate him like you do in Air Force One. And in, um, I don't really so much hate him in The Fifth Element, but... Weird character. Oh, so goofy. Yeah. yeah. But then you have him as Commissioner Gordon and you really like him. Yeah. You know? um, I just recently watched Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy. He's great in... Uh, you know, he won for Darkest Hour playing Churchill. So interesting um, that some of the people that thrown into this, into this, you know, casting what ifs. Uh, for Hope, we had Rashida Jones, your very Parks own and Parks and Rec, and Rec which <laughs> not only acted with um, Paul Rudd in that show, but they were in I Love You Man together. So that was a very, had some traction. Emma Stone. Bryce Dallas Howard, who's come up before in our pod, and Jessica Chastain, all are terrific actresses. And but they said they settled on Lily, and I think I think she does a pretty good job. I I I and then when we get into the second one, she does a real good job. I think. Yeah, she's decent enough. I you know, um, I think her role was just right for her in this one. You know, it was yeah. And originally supposed to be even a lesser role in the Edgar Wright script, but when McKay yeah. finished it, that? they added more of her into it. Here we are, Graham. One of my favorite parts because of the nitpicker I am, the Tony Stark questions corner, the why, the what, the things that don't make sense. My first one, and I understand they needed to use this. They needed to use the comic books to bring, but why, as far as the movie story goes, why did he, why would he choose Scott Lang? It's just the is it because of the espionage because of what he did to that former company, like his crime he committed. Maybe that that Robin Hood kind of mentality. I and don't know. It's like you're gonna be my guy. I'm gonna set all this up for you specifically. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's a great. I mean, it's a great. A what if you know? 
Um, and along those same lines, like, you know, just the, the things that don't make sense, like how, why not just go direct to the source? Why make it so advanced out or, you know, when, he, when he's putting together how to lure Lang into it? I mean, so elaborate. I, I guess they must have had that in mind when they, you know, did they get the idea to have Louise's little rant first or did they have that and then, then do have Louise do the rant? I don't know. It just it just all conveniently works out, you know, and I, I was always kind of thought that was weird. Um, and how did Hank Pym know that, that Lang could break that safe? Right. What if he doesn't get in What if there? he hadn't been able to do it? Yeah. That's so on the same lines. One of my questions is what if Scott just leaves the suit? Yeah. He had no indication that Scott would steal this random, what looks like some type of, you know, like a biker suit or some type of breathing apparatus, whatever it looked like. Well, how did he know that Scott would grab it? Yeah. I don't know. Um, another one I've got, you know, when the ants start counting down while he's in the jail cell, they start at 10. By the time they hit four, he's already got the suit on. Unbelievable. What, I mean, like, does not make sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Him and him and him and Darren Cross can put on their suits faster than any, like, you know, tomorrow morning, I'm going to put on my three piece suit for professional development and I do not do it that fast. Yeah. Um, the next one I have is, so why does everyone treat Scott like he's some sort of like criminal mastermind or lifetime criminal or con man? He did the one job for what's what they try to kind of portray as a more of a noble cause, but it's almost like from now they just think he's that he's a criminal forever. I know that's how he, that's what he is in the comics, but in the movie, they just make it seem like he did that one thing. And before that, he was not even anything like that. Cause he's like, I'm not, I'm not going back. I'm not doing I'm, my yeah. life of being a thief is over. It's like, you did the one thing. What do you mean your life as a thief? Yeah. You know, when he, um, when he's the size of the ant and he falls and he cracks the, the tile yet, he falls through the, and onto that record and doesn't even crack a vinyl record. What's that all about? That's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, because I didn't even think to... about that one. The wife thought of that one. She's much smarter than I am. Well, it's like him punching people. He can knock them over. So yeah, if he fell that hard and landed on thing, he would have went right through it. That's a that's an amazing one. Well, um, I'll have to give her credit for that one. So. Yeah, hats off to Amy. Um, I mine is, and this is my biggest one. Why is Falcon the only defense for the Avengers compound? You have. Vision, you have Scarlet Witch, you have Black Widow, you have Cap. Yeah, I mean, I know maybe Cap's trying to hunt down the Winter Soldier, but that's it. Falcon's the only one who responds to that. That's just unbelievable to me. Yeah. Well, uh, Lois on the payroll to get into the movie, I'm sure. So. Oh, yeah. Um, um, you have any more? Um... Because my last one is, how did he get the exact proper size out of the quantum realm? Sans a regulator. He literally goes from being subatomic atomic, to the exact same size he was before. I know he uses the little ring thing, but how does he know exactly when to... Like, it happens so instantaneously. 
he could have overshot it and been giant man. It just it was it was all <laughs> too perfect. Yeah, and I think I'm good on on the the what if corner here. Well, here we go to the snap. What would we snap from the movie? I, I'm my biggest snap is I'm snapping that there's too little of Luis. Yeah, I thought about that too. I mean, we need need more Luis. We don't need to snap. You know, is there a and I, I need to go. We've got the Blu-ray of that movie here. I need to go see. If there's like any gag reels or hidden, you know, deleted scenes of more Luis. Yes, you know. please. You know, I I did not get any snaps on this one. Is like I normally do. I um, I'm snapping, not snapping Yellow Jacket altogether, but snapping that he's gone permanently. I just think that there could be more there, more Darren Cross, more. You know, the Ant Man, if he's having to fight a whole guy, you know, army of guys his size as Ant Man, where he can bring his ants in to help, you know, that that's all part of it. You know, this is like the only movie where it seems like where we bring the ants in. I think. Yeah, Miss, like that's your that's literally the greatest weapon he could have at his disposal. I I'm snapping, I'm snapping. Yellow jacket being like he only puts on the suit for a little bit. I'm just the whole how they use yellow jacket. You know, technically the second version of yellow jacket wasn't even cross in the comics. It was, it was a woman played the villain. I'm snapping that the plot is just it's a little too flawed. I'm snapping the big ant as a pet. Are you? I how do you, that thing would bite your hand? There's no way it's just like a it's dog. Like, honey, honey, I shrunk the kids. You know, it's 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 insane to me i know it's supposed to be cute funny and and maybe everyone out there is like man he does not have a sense of humor it just wasn't for me um that will carry us over into villains hall of fame though uh we've got you know a lot of spots left in the top 10 for us but we definitely have a few towards the back end where did yellow jacket land for you yellow jacket for me um ranks at number 13 um, above Jude Law Jude Law's role in Captain Marvel and just behind Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy this I've got him at 19 I dropped him he's I have now 19 through 23 have all been filled out for me Um, there's just okay so it's this is a basic comic book villain idea here. So your villain attempts to copy your hero's technology or their powers or ability, and they become their adversary. The issue for me is Cross, like the shrinking, the shrinking stuff hasn't made him a lunatic. He already was one, according to Pym. So his motivations here, it's like he's hell bent on either acceptance from Pym or just one upping him are getting extremely rich. Those, those aren't really great motivations. But I think my biggest issue is, um, like, the plan, his plan through all this. So he keeps all of his data in the one spot, and he only has one suit. I feel like if you're a great villain, you have some backups or countermeasures. He also, he doesn't really have a, a real rivalry with our main hero until he attempts to to destroy his suit. There's no real beef. His beef That's is true. With, his rivalry is with Dr. It's with, Pym. It's with and, Pym, and that's tough for me because you always want your hero and it's their adversary to have this rivalry built on something. 
And because of that, it made him not one of my favorite villains. Well, and I, I think I enjoyed the, the, the struggle with him and Hank Pym. Now, when you get, I can't really blame him not getting to fight Scott Lang or not really having that, you know, rivalry with Scott Lang at the end. That's who he ends up battling. So, you know, I, I, I liked it. At the end of the day, I liked it more than I thought I did with him as far as the villain goes. Yeah. I mean, you had it at 13. Um, we'll get into infinity rank. I'll go first. I had to do some reshuffling here. Oh man. I had to do a little reshuffle. I originally had this at 20 and really, I originally had this at 20 just from wow. remembering the couple times I had watched it just because of how, how much I just dislike some of the plot. But when I really like, when I really watch, this is a fun movie and it has excitement and there's not a lot of, there's no real dull moments. And a lot of the movies we've discussed, there's some real dull movie moments that make it drag on. And you know, we don't get lost in too much character development in this movie. It's just like, Hey, there's some parts brought up and when they are, they're done really well and quickly like the stuff with hope's mom and you know, some of their past and the story itself. It's not the best. Obviously I'm not a fan of the villain, but this jumped all the way for me to number. It, it went up to 16. So wow. I put that bumped Iron Man two to 20 captain Marvel to 19 Iron Man three to 18 and Thor to 17. So I, I mean, as much as I've dogged on it, I'd enjoy the movie. It's a fun, but you, but you established at the front that you enjoyed it when you watched it. So. I, I, yeah. So, I mean, I put it at 16. That's uh that's, you know, there's amazingly no enough that is now bumped Thor into the same spot for us at 17. Yeah. So, um, I think because of the, the sentimental value I get from this movie and the, that my wife likes it so much, you know, you like what you like, what your wife likes. That's what it ends up being. Um, I've got Ant-Man at number 13 and, um, because I can enjoy it. I can watch it, enjoy it. And, you know, I, that, that, that's a big thing for us. Like we can watch it around our kids. It's not too, too terribly violent. Um, it's kind of, I guess, family friendly more so than some of these Marvel movies are. So, um, we enjoy the comedy. We enjoy a lot of things about it. So, uh, number 13 for me. There you go. Uh, thoughts from our wives. Uh, she, well, my, as I said, my wife loves it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. She, uh, my wife, she she laughed. She loved. I think she loved Rudd as Ant Man. What what really got her is when we started it and it's rolling, and she asked, "Well, what's the name of this one?" And I said, "Ant Man." And the look on her face was <laughs> just of almost disgust. She was like, "The name." Is Ant Man, you know the 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 premise as well, a little below par. I, I even when he first time he shrinks, I'm like, that's why it's called Ant Man. She's like, yeah, I, I get it, I get that's what it is. But I, you know, some of it, you know, it made her laugh. She's ready for the the gauntlet to be over with, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> She's really gonna love it if we do segue into Star Wars. We're talking about a, a person who once fell asleep during Rogue One in the theater. So, whew. oh man. Um, ultimate letdowns for me, you know, 
when we get to Civil War, we get to see Giant Man. I would have loved some Giant Man. I was really let down that Yellow Jacket doesn't put the suit on until, you know, we, we really just get two big battles back to back with them instead of a bigger uh, sequence or like an original sequence where Yellow Jacket really puts it on him and then maybe they fights again later. And then the story, I, I'm not, I'm still not a big fan of the story, but I, I'm almost like you. There's like, there's a lot of forced comedy, but the story itself is, is, and it's part of that could be that two different guys wrote, you know, most of it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think I have any major letdowns just because the, the movie means a lot to me personally. It got someone who's very important to me, you know, interested in the Marvel universe. And now, you know, we can watch them and talk about them. And, you know, that, that really means a lot. And True. Um, yeah, there's yeah. lots of flaws and lots of, you know, things that are wrong with it. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a fun one. And I'm glad that I'm glad that we got to watch it together that time we did. So um, I'll just segue right into my final thought on the movie. Um, and that this is kind of the repeat of what I've been saying. You know, it's, it's funny. It's witty. Um, there's some really funny moments. Um, it's not perfect. At the end of the day, Ant-Man sets up, you know, some, some more avenues for the universe to go through. And um, if I'd have known in July of 2015 how important he was going to be into the final, um, the final outcome of things, I never would have guessed it. You know, oh, no, yeah, that's I'm the, I'm with you on that. You never would have watching this movie thought that he would play such a crucial role going forward. Uh, I didn't even foresee them bringing him in in Civil War. I mean, you have the the cut cut scene, the mid credit scene, but yeah, yeah, no, I just I didn't know how much bigger of a larger of a role he was going to take in the universe. Um, I think my final thought for me is that not every comic book movie has to be this this super action sequence or like a like a winter soldier where there's a lot of deep like dramatic moments of some serious acting going on that they can be that this you have to have the fun comedic parts in it that that you're catering to all your audience base there like I can imagine had I watched this movie if I was a 15 year old, it would have, I would have loved it. And I think I get lost in that now as an adult, but that's what sold. These are comic book movies and they're supposed to have some of the fun that this movie brings out. And it is a good change of pace and even more so on the sequel because of what it's sandwiched between of that. You need some of that in the universe. So that, that's my final thought on that. Um, next up though, this is a big one for you and I, we get 2016's Captain America Civil War. Where yeah, it's Tony, not Iron Man Civil War. And Tony so. and your guy go mano a mano. It's, uh, it stars most of the cast from the Avengers, but it also introduces Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther and Martin Freeman as a CIA agent, Agent Ross, which I'll get into why they shouldn't have chose that name. I'm Luke Shoemaker. He's Graham Thomas. Thank you for listening to, to the MCU Gauntlet.